qualified the affordable housing as 30% of your income. So if you pay more than 30% of your income towards um, rent or towards maintaining your housing, then you would consider living in unaffordable housing. Now, HUD has done absolutely nothing to make sure that that's <laughs> quite the case, well, under this current administration. Um, but I think it's absolutely true that you, it's not just an economic thing, it's also a social um, idea. It's, it's affordable housing is not just like I can pay $100 to live in a basement with no egress, you know, no windows to get out. Affordable housing is housing that feels safe um, to you, that gives you stability, um, and that allows you to take care of yourself um, and or your family and do so in a way that doesn't make you work 300 jobs <laughs> so that you can keep a roof over your head. Absolutely. Um, I, I agree with everything you guys just said. Uh, I would just say uh, like affordable housing is, is, like I said, it's super complicated because I think because you have so many populations spread out in Omaha especially from whatever area. So once you spread like individuals that's receiving protection and, and put them in West Omaha, you, you kind of complicate the issue because like you said, it's based off your economic ability and what, you, what you're supposed to afford. So if it's based off the area's median, median income and you put somebody in section eight in that same area, it, it throws a wrench into everything. And I, I, I don't, I never understood that. Why put people in these situations when everyone else around them is more well off than them? Yeah. I think the idea was to desegregate neighborhoods and they just kind of threw arrows at a map or darts at a map and were like, let's do it this way. <laughs> <laughs> so OHA is actually actively trying to get rid of those scattered site housing because yeah. it doesn't, work, like it doesn't actually do the things that it's intended to do. Yeah, this is where, you, where we began to switch it, because first your question was dealing with the economical aspect of that. Here was pretty much dealing with primarily with the social aspect of it. Mm -hmm. This is why you say you wouldn't understand it, because like you're trying to say you don't understand it pretty much based on from an economical viewpoint. But then when you look at it at a social perspective, it's basically dealing with social engineering. Now this is where I, I would have to split the subject between just what is good for people here in general and what is good for African people. And again, when I say African, I use this terminology with black. No, no matter where we from, as African people in this world, in this country, we're still African, so that's our origin, that's our root. Sometimes when I say African, because we have sisters and brothers from the continent, people think when I say African, I'm talking about a sister or brother from the continent. No, when I say African, I'm talking about all black people, no matter where we come from, whether it's Jamaica, China, the continent, et cetera. So when we look at it from a purely social perspective, then we're talking about social engineering then. And this is where, like I said, I split hairs because this is where I begin to say we as a people, we need to be able to determine what it is, what type of community we want to live in, what type of people we want to be in this community, et cetera, as well as uh, controlling our economical needs. So when you look at it from a state city's viewpoint, they're doing social engineering. They're trying to say, okay, we got these housing projects or we got these certain different areas or we got people on certain types of incomes who will never reach certain social economical status and need among certain people. So this is also part of the, uh, instead of pull yourself up by the bootstraps, this is the, we're gonna give you the bootstrap and put you up in this spot. 
who then did it right at the, on, on average, a lot of times you have sisters and brothers isolated way out in the boondocks, and you know, and pretty much there's no one that looks like them in that area. And this is not to say that there's nothing wrong with those people in the area that don't look like them, but as, but as a people, that we naturally gravitate toward people who uh, share our uh, cultural, racial, et cetera, background. So to then, then we begin to lose identity. That, so like I said, so that's one of those social engineering type of things here. So that's definitely not good for us as African people. And I think from, and again, if I just look purely from a state perspective, it may not be good either. I would agree because I, I guess the, the, the facts are the facts. Like it, it hasn't worked. So why does the city completely do it? And why are we, why is the city planning to tear down these housing developments, these housing projects? And it doesn't seem like they have a real plan to put the put the individuals that are living in these uh, living in these projects. It's just like, hey, we're gonna tear them down. We're gonna make it better. Hopefully they can come back. I don't think uh, Rob Armstrong would be a over uh, Omaha Housing Authority thinks that, that the housing project itself was public safety. It was the name of the public safety for the family. And they thought the best way to be able to do that is to get rid of them. Like I said, there's a lot of drug infested areas where gang members and others reside in. Um, but again, I was coming up, the project wasn't that way. You had some rich people living in the project. Um, some drug abusers, if you will. So what what happened from when we were coming up to now to cause so much disconnect when it comes to the project? I think the, I think the, the thing is, you're, you're right. It wasn't a huge issue. Yes, violence and all the other stuff was always happening. But once you tear down a bunch of housing housing projects and tell people to go find somewhere else to live, you spread it across the city, and then you have individuals from different places being forced to see each other more often, so then you're going to have more conflict. Instead of them being separated from each other, now you got them all in one, one place now, so you have more conflict. So what do you think would be a, b a better way of doing things? For public housing specifically? Mm -hmm. So that's a really interesting question. Um, the new development they're doing, tearing down the, the Spencer home in, on 30th, right? And um, putting in, the idea is to make it sort of like 75 North. So it's really like a mixed income um, development. and. OJ has said that they'll be able to go back in, but you know, <laughs> who knows how that's really going to work out in practice. Um, I don't know what the solution is, but I think to your question really about how we got here, it's just um, we have continued to not invest in closed off neighborhoods and as we move further west and build more Red Robins. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know how many we need, but there sure are a lot. Um, so we've continued to disinvest and close off neighborhoods. And when um, you don't feel like the city's taking, like I used to be a public school teacher um, on the west side of Chicago in a pretty um, impoverished neighborhood. And 
our school is falling apart. And so our kids had behavior problems because what were they supposed to think when they came to school? We're supposed to tell them to care when we, like the school district clearly doesn't care about them and Mm -hmm. about their learning and value them as human beings who are deserving of books that aren't from 1983 and who like deserve heat and air conditioning like when they're going to school. and I think it's the same holds true for neighborhoods and for communities. If you don't, if you can clearly tell that the people who are telling you they're going to take care of you aren't doing it, right? Like, how are you going to react? And I don't blame people for reacting that way. Yeah, kind of like two questions get posed here. I'm going to see if I can touch on a little bit on both of them. Very interesting. I, I actually, I think this is a very hard topic to speak on mm-hmm. because it has too many nuances, and that's what makes it so complicated. But uh, what you were talking about, what happened to us, and I, 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 I would uh, interpret your us as meaning us and black people without regard to that transition between where the project, even though it had some negatives, it wasn't such a bad thing because you did have some honorable and respectable people that did leave these projects, and it, at the same time, you were being taught some principles values that were worthy of living by and standing. So we, we talk about what happened. <laughs> That's too big of a question to <laughs> answer right now, but I'm going to try to squeeze it down in a, in a microsecond or two. We as a people, we lost our way. We stopped looking at ourselves as a people and started looking at ourselves as Americans in the abstract. Yes, we are American citizens. Yes, we are American. That's why you say African-American. African being the origin of American being the nationality. But we're not American by our, 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 our uh, genetic existence. We're only by our, our political existence are we American, but by our genetic uh, disposition, we are African, so we say African-American. So what happened, we lost our way. We, we, we started seeing ourselves as Americans in the abstract. Somewhere between the 70s and toward the end of the 80s, by the 90s, it was through. We, we had people who had African consciousness, had cultural consciousness, and things of that nature. This is the time we walked down the street to see the average sister brother. Hey, what's happening? What's happening? You know, we give each other love. You know, respect of elders was in place. A lot of these values and principles were in place. They, they were eroded over time. So what happened is that those of us who had supposed to pick up the banner, we, 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 we failed our, our children. We failed ourselves. So therefore, we got the situation that we got now. And also, as a people, we didn't, we didn't have a national ideal or national ideology or plan to go by something holistic that sets us apart. So that's what happened. We lost our way. Now, what would be kind of, you asked what would be the best way to go about public housing? I think if we as a people, if we begin to think and invest in ourselves and look for ourselves as a people again, we can begin to create institutions and organizations where we can finance a lot of these things ourselves. We have the money to do this. There's over $700 million uh, that we you know, have at, at our disposal as, as Africans right here in Nebraska alone. So we have the, the, the wealth, the capital, what we don't, the capital we don't have is, is people capital. See, we don't have that connectedness. Because you're talking about what happened, you said there was a disconnect. The disconnect was we disconnected from our peoplehood and started becoming Americans in the abstract. And so when we, when we lost our way in trying to balance the two, so the best way to deal with this is that people create organizations and institutions that deal with public housing, create organizations and institutions that deal with real estate, African real estate, Afrocentric real estate. And we invest in that as a community. Like we have community radios, we have community and real estate agencies. See, so we deal with that from that perspective. Therefore, we deal with it from a cultural perspective, a community.
And whereas African people, when I say African, even though I separated from other people when I said that, but at the same time, we are connected to other people. Because as African people, well, one of the things that we call for is to always be able to put our best foot forward. And any people should call for that, no matter who you are. If you call for your people to put your best foot forward, no matter what our different identity is, we all should be able to live together in harmony. So I'm not, I'm not, when I, so I, when I speak like this, I'm not speaking in isolation to anybody else. I'm speaking about what we need to do as a people. And there actually are models for exactly what you're talking about. They did it in Oakland, um, precisely when some public housing um, projects shut down and they didn't have anywhere else to go. A group of people in the community just all invested into a real estate cooperative. cooperative. Yeah, and like they just bought all these houses and then kept them affordable. <laughs> so there's, I mean, like there, there are models for exactly what you're talking about, and it is possible and has been done. Um, before we came on the line, uh, you were talking about a couple of bills that were passed in our legislature. Could you talk a little more, more LB, what is it, 36? So many LBs. Yeah, I know. I got you. <laughs> I got you. Um, so yeah, so there were actually, I talked about the bills that were passed, yeah. and then there were a bunch that are still stuck in committee and could still come out next session. Um, but LB 86 was Senator Justin Wayne's bill, and it does a lot of things, um, but the most uh, pertinent or relevant one to this discussion, I guess, would be that it gives you a $5,000 property tax credit um, if you buy a house in a extremely blighted area. Uh, the problem with the bill as it stands right now is that they don't have a definition for what extremely blighted area means, but um, I imagine, and I actually am really uncomfortable with that term because it's been used to do a whole lot of, yeah, terrible things, clearing out slums, quote unquote, when really it just means getting rid of black people and you know that white people didn't want around anymore um, in that neighborhood. But uh, presumably, what it's going to mean is northeast Omaha is sections of northwest Omaha and probably in South Omaha as well. So to encourage home ownership and to build investment in the community. Um, the other bill that passed was LB 433, and this changes the Nebraska residential landlord tenant law. So right now you can get a, and those, you know, most people are familiar with the three-day notice, um, to quit for non-payment of rent. So if you don't pay your rent, your landlord can give you a three-day notice. Um, if you don't pay your rent in three days, you can file eviction proceedings. Um, and this changes that three-day notice to seven days. Hmm. Uh, the other thing that it does is it mandates that the landlord return your security deposit minus whatever damages are taken out um, within 14 days, because beforehand you had to ask for your deposit back. So if you haven't gotten your deposit back in the past, that's the it might be because you didn't ask for it. So now you're just the landlord will have to return it to you within 14 days. Um, and then I forgot to mention this before we were talking, but the third thing that it does, because it's actually two bills in one, um, is if you are ordered to vacate by a government entity. So for instance, let's say your landlord is charging you a bunch of money um, and the city comes in and inspects and it turns out your house is condemned. Um, you cannot be held liable for any damages um, in that process. So, like for, so the reason that that came up is because um, Yale Park uh, 
Kenny Anderson, the landlord, is not returning their security deposits, so he's in court right now with them. Um, and he's not returning their security deposits because he said they didn't clean their units before they left. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of like the Yale Park provision. So. That would be retroactive. Um, so yeah, so they're in civil court right now to get all of that yeah. back. Yeah, um, but in terms of it being like retroactive, like returning their security deposits, um, the nice thing here is that in three months, if you move and don't ask and your landlord can't get the check to you and it gets returned to him, he has to turn it over to the state treasurer's office um, where it'll be treated like unclaimed property. So sometime in the future, you could call the state treasurer and see if they have any money for you because you never got a security deposit back and then they'll cut you a check and send it to you. Yeah, there, was a, there was a new law passed regarding tenant rights. Could you talk a little bit about that law? That's the one I was just, the LB 433? Yeah. And there's a couple other bills that have to do with changing the way eviction court works um, and also strengthening retaliation um, protections for tenants, but those are both still in the Judiciary Committee and could very well come out next session. We'll see. It was a hard fight just to get <laughs> one, so we'll see. Um, there's been a lot of talk lately also about gentrification going on. How did, uh, what are your views on gentrification as a whole and how do you see it playing out in Omaha? certain distance within a certain zone, 
But here they're saying, hey, that certain zone, that certain district, we kept you in, guess what? We want it. So now we're gonna raise the value of that, and wherever you go, we don't really care. See, so gentrification is really a very nasty subject, but it also deals with what little bit of neighborhood consciousness that we may have, it begins to suffer again. Because now that pie, the pieces, more pieces are being taken from that hole. And our communities are shrinking and changing. So now you have different cultural values and perspectives in that community. And, and we already have a loose perspective on that. So again, it weakens us as a people of gentrification. Because we, we're the ones that suffer emotions from that. Well, what do you say to a lot of people who say, well, you know, the downtown north is different. Um, and other entities are coming into the community. How do you balance the two so that gentrification doesn't happen? I think each of us are starting to find north out there. Example, something that may not work because it, it, as I've, I've heard community teaching that rent is going up every year for those people. It, it's becoming less and less affordable as, as the years pass. Okay, yeah. And that's not being talked about. And then also when they say they're going to tear down the Spencer project because they build these new homes, it's like, okay, so what are you going to do to help these the individuals that are living there now to be able to come back and live there? Are you going to provide them with some job training, some education? Are you going to open up some job opportunities so they can afford it? Like, where's the plan at? Don't just say we're going to tear down some projects because violence and all drugs is being sold here. Then we're going to build some new houses and we hope it gets better. I don't think that's going to happen if you don't help the people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that the lack of a plan is a great, um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty good assessment of the situation. Um, I find gentrification to be, um, I don't know, I, I don't feel like it's the right word for some reason, but um, am I allowed to get historical on this? Sure. Okay, I was a history teacher, so I have to. Um, so gentrification, the word comes, like the root word is the gentry, which is the nobility. Um, and what it comes from is back in long centuries and centuries and centuries ago, um, the common people had something called the commons. That's what they were called, the common people. They didn't have their own land. They had this shared space in their community that they all took care of together and that helped sustain them. Um, and then the gentry decided that they didn't like that and that land was really valuable and decided to go take it. So that's where the word gentrification comes from. And I think that the real problem with this is that we're letting like rich people <laughs> decide what's valuable and what's not when it comes to something as intangible as community and a sense of self. Right, like you can't put a price on a community and they keep trying to and that's what gentrification is. It's like, we know that this area has value because we live in it. Um, we don't need green slate development. I don't know who owns that, so no offense, they're probably nice people, but like we don't need green slate development to come in and tell us that the area around Farnham is worth 
something now because we put in a fancy pizzeria, right? Like we don't need those things for <laughs> to tell us that our communities have value and that they have purpose and that people have families and they live and love and laugh and all that eat, pray, love, whatever stuff, right? Like these people exist in these communities and we try to put monetary value on them and decide that they have some sort of financial worth and that's the only time we're gonna try to invest in them. And that's ridiculous and that's completely backwards. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know that I answered the question, but gentrification makes me really complicated topic and I just don't think that you should be able to put a monetary property tax value on something like people living in their communities. I just, I, I, I just think it's, it's just wild that city would allow like would, would allow this to happen because for years and years nobody wanted to invest in that right now. Mm-hmm. Now it's a it's a thing to do. It's it's you got the private private investors, you got philanthropists, all these people wanting to buy up all this property. But twenty years ago when I was growing up, North Omaha wasn't getting invested and we didn't have these opportunities and we we still have opportunities, we definitely didn't have them now. And now you wanna combine it up and then nothing's still gonna happen for the people in the community. Cause when you look at Harlem, when you look at Oakland and San Francisco, the poor are still poor. Mm-hmm. Like housing gonna help the poor. Well, that's, it's almost like they did it by design, Terrell. It's almost like they left it. <laughs> they stopped investing in it and yeah. let it all fall apart. And then they're like, wow, look at all this cheap land. How about that? I have no idea how this happened. <laughs> Hopefully everyone knows what I'm doing here. Yeah, so, you know, you know watch life. <laughs> but yep. um, the fact of the matter is capitalism is playing a huge role in this whole conversation. Um, we know that the best, way, the best way right now to invest in is North Africa. That's it's the best one. Uh, if you come in, you get in at a cheap price, and you... <laughs> The property value will go up, and you make returns on the money. Um, but again, I think it falls upon us as a community for allowing this to happen. We can speak to you more in that sense. But anything that comes in, we can have a virtual thing. So how do we change that same dynamic to be able to have more success in what comes in on the north side? You got a different answer. Follow uh, You got it. You can remember. Your <laughs> <laughs> Your example, Aaron. Yeah, you got it. I'm going to have to follow your example. I have a different answer. Uh, answer the question. Start with a little history mm-hmm. myself. There was a brother who made that answer to us about that. I don't know what I do, but this here little, little sign right here that says Black Power, which also dealt with social, economical concepts of the people. It's not something that was radical was in the face of the man and cetera. a lot of people misinterpreted over the years as uh, socially uh, saying social carmichael and he later changed the name to prominent Poirier, but social carmichael and uh, charles hamilton wrote a book on black power so the reason i'm, I'm adding that from a historical point of view that's to say that uh, we have to begin to connect those dots those pieces. It's sort of like when you talk about the, the concept of gentrification and all of those, and how do we let that happen? How do we do something? The 
the people don't control your community from the inside, you're able to control it from the outside. Mm -hmm. It's like Willie pointed out, you know, in some degree, you really can't blame the capitalists because we do live in a capitalistic society, a capitalistic society. So in a capitalistic society, it, it pays off to have some type of capitalistic mind on how money and things are going uh, operate. But oftentimes, we as a people, this is one we talk about housing. Now, here's the other complication of it. You got other people who are behind the scenes working to try to do these things, trying to engineer them the best they can, some, some against and some for. And then you got you then you got some people who are so apathetic that they're not even concerned with community issues. That's and that's one of the problems with a lot of these issues. These are issues that to some degree we're not more we're not that concerned with uh, with it as how to control it, to direct it, where the money coming from, the funds and, and all of these things to give you the inside information. A lot of us only control or only concerned with the, the back end of it. Where do I fall here? Where do where do I get where, where do I fit from an economic perspective? But it's sort of like you look at a, a the concept of colonization. So you talk about the rich people taking over, the, coming down, etc. Well, when the people are colonized, it's usually controlled from the outside. So, like I said, if the people do not control the community from the inside, it will be controlled from the outside. Just like a colony is controlled from the outside, so people with the riches, the people who does the planning who does the strategizing, who does the, the, any, any type of social or economical engineering in this, in, this, in, this, in this city, in this state, et cetera, in this country, et cetera. So because one of the, one of the best ways to keep the masses blind is to keep the masses ignorant. See, so the masses have to be educated. So whatever we do from a community perspective has to be something that deals with educating the masses. Because once educated, the, uh, the masses are edu educated, that little bit of knowledge you can begin to take and work it together. It's when the masses are ignorant and not aware of these things and, and don't even have an inclination to even want to be aware of these things, see, that complicates the problems even more. See, so whatever we do from a collective perspective, we have to make sure that we begin to educate the masses because part of why a lot of these things work from the negative part of the governmental perspective is because the masses aren't concerned with it. Don't have enough people involved in it. Mm -hmm. That's why Kwame Tobey now will come back to him. So y'all thought I just laid that out there just later. So what are you talking about? How did that connect? Kwame Tobey, the, the brother that was credited for the Black Power fist sign, giving us that symbol, but he did write the philosophy on us. It was a friend of his that actually did the Black Power thing. He took that name and he got credit for it. So that's okay. That's how history works. But Kwame Tobey, and this is where he connects to what I'm saying and what I just got through saying is that he said something that's very deep. It's going to be simple though, but it was very deep. He said it over and over. He said, organize, 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 organize. Mm -hmm. Because when we begin to organize, what we're doing, we're pulling ourselves together, we're pulling our thoughts together, we're straightening our thoughts out together, we're directing our thoughts into action, directed into action that's going to benefit us. But when we're not organized, we're scattered. You know what they call that? It's like scatterbrain. But when we come together, we begin to see and focus and see clearly. That's why he said, organize, 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 organize. So if we're not hitting the pavement, if we're not knocking on doors, if we're not trying to bring brothers and sisters together, that's what he meant. We got to put in the work. That's what he meant. We got to organize, organize, organize. He was talking about footwork. He wasn't just talking about paperwork or ordering something in some type of alphabetical order, a numerical order. No, he's talking about hitting the pavement. That's what's wrong. It was a time when we hit the pavement. Hey, brother, sister, let me talk to you about this. The organizations were out there. You ask some of the average sisters and brothers where this and that organization is at in this city right now, they couldn't tell you. And I'm not making this up because I've done it several times. Because we're not organized. So uh, I'm going to say this, I'm going to let it go. 
You know, organizations, we have to get them to the point to where they are household powers. What organization did you know for African people that is household common that helps the average African person on any level, on any of these subjects, and is, is, is connected to us? But it won't happen until as a people we have, we create that and connect to it, because it got to be empowered. And we live in a capitalistic society, and we're bringing this back to that. We have to empower ourselves through our own capital, through our own dollars. This is how we get housing and everything else. This is our self-reparation. You know, I'm just thinking that um, we have a lot of organizations in the past that we really ran to, like the NAACP, like the Urban League, organizations like that. Um, but those organizations have changed their mission statement. So what do we do now? Because those organizations that we used to lean on, that was historic organizations, have changed their mission statement. Well, you don't address I'm always against more nonprofits. I think Omaha has too many nonprofits and not enough help is really being done on on the, on the grassroots level. I think we we just gotta be real with ourselves and say, hey, these these organizations aren't doing the work anymore. Somebody has to take the, t take the flag and just hold it down. And that's what it has to be. I think as long as we rely on the NAACP or anybody else and just wait for them to be like they were in the 60s, we're, we're going to be stuck in the same situation. And I just think it, somebody just has to step up and just run with it. Most of the nonprofits in North Omaha are issued with know anything about organizing, you have to be able to grow or build capacity. So how do you how do you upset the funding aspect of it to be able to do those kind of things? Partners. I think that's why I said too many, because of because of the capacity issue. I think more more of these organizations should be working together and when a grant comes up, let's all put in on this grant and take some chance. And then we'll all be better off in the long run. But I think a lot of times a grant or something will come up and everybody will just go for it for themselves. And then at the end of the day, one person might get it when we all could have got it or nobody gets it. I think also, this is a, I, I just think it's, it's too many. And I think it's, it's some that should probably go because they're not really helping. Uh, forgive me for going to sleep, but uh, <laughs> I'm not really for nonprofits. Well, that's still a good way to put it. Uh, nonprofits have their have their place as well. So I got to be careful. I'm not, they have their place. I'm, what I'm trying to say is what I am for. I'm not really against nonprofits. They have a place. But what I am for is they will uh, just go for profit. Uh, the nonprofits is the ties to state and governmental uh, policies and laws and things of that nature. But when we create organizations for ourselves as African people, we want to be able to control the thoughts, the boards, and things that with them we can still connect to a lawyer and do all that. But at least it's an independent organization that's not tied by some uh, 501c funds or something like that that you can look at for the government.
forth or whatever, because we have seen, we, we fail to realize that as a people, just, I'm just talking about right here in North America itself, uh, we have at our disposal over a trillion dollars. Over a trillion dollars. See, but it's what we're doing with the capital. Because when you start talking about uh, having someone else to fund something, for, see, we should be the ones that, that, that create grants. But our grants got to be created within the perspective of what is socially uh, in our image and interest as African people. See, when we begin to fund these organizations, create these things for ourselves, let's say we had an organization that was based on an age-based scheme where everybody just gave a certain amount of money every month or every, uh, et cetera, and we hit the pavement. See, what's, what's happening is we don't have field agencies, someone to hit the pavement. See, we done lost our, we done lost our way with all these you know, technology, phone companies. You have to hit the pavement. See, but the, but the, our field agents have to also be trained. See, what it takes is a cadre of sisters and brothers who come together with this master plan and put it together and come out back into the community. Because oftentimes, see, we, we, we keep trying to do the same old stuff. What if we get a grant from here? What if we go to here? What if we go to there? What about this agency? What about this organization? What about this government? Well, when do we begin to do what we can do for ourselves within these laws? Well, then we be the ones creating create grants. We give a grant to a brother a sister who uh, can, can write the, the best uh, a, a thesis uh, dealing with uh, Richard Wright or somebody, uh, or dealing with somebody that's famous in history or whatever. We create grants, we create scholars. As long as, we, we, as long as we're looking to go through someone who's creating these things, we're not creating for ourselves. See, we, we, then we have to begin to see ourselves as a people, quit trying to act like Americans in the abstract. Because the thing is, is that these things have not worked. Oh, they have aided. I take nothing from them. They have aided. They have it really worked. Where is our people's social consciousness? How come I can't walk down the street and see the average sister or brother, especially young sister? Hey, what's happening? They go. I look at it. What's wrong with this brother? This is the strangest stuff I've ever seen in my life. There was, there was a time. Hey, what's that? Hey, we gave each other love with that. In fact, that's where the nod came from. There was a time when there was so much love, about, uh, especially at that period uh, of the seventies, uh, following the, the sixty-five, you know, civil rights acts and all over that period, right at the seventies. But then within the mid-seventies, I've got something else when the, everything began to begin to begin to be sucked out our cultural perspective. We didn't weaponize because they have the afros and things like that. We wasn't talking about jumbo or who stops or things that meant something to us. See, so. And you talk about in today's age, our youngsters come ready to give. They come ready to give, but we don't give them anything as a people. Because we keep trying to act like Americans in the abstract. See, so those things don't work. We need to come back to self. We should be able to create for self, do for self, think for self, and produce for self. You know, um, he's right on point. Well, I say, I would say 
No, I, I would just continue to to uh, work on the ground and continue to see it wrong when you think of the night. Nothing's gonna ever think of the night. I think you start with that one person, then maybe that one person turns into two or three or four. But I think as long as we see it as a bunch of people don't want to come, then we stop our pro we stop our progression because we don't need a room full of a hundred people that ain't on the same page. We need a room full of five or ten people that's on the same page and build from there. And that's how you grow.
right? You can't just be out on your own. Have you thought about a VOC voucher system? Yeah, that's an excellent idea. We should do that. A re-entry voucher system for people coming out get a voucher. And I've heard that idea floated a few times and I would I would make common payment with you on that one. Mm -hmm. Let's do it.
what they say, but how do you, like, it's 2019, you can't be that ignorant. Mm. <laughs> but, but they are, it, it's, it's just, I was like, wow, these people. <laughs> Old white rich men in the lesson thing. <laughs> yeah. It, it's some young ones too that, that are unbelievable, but it, it's a majority of like older men, white men, that just say the wildest things and have the wildest opinions. And you're like, dude, like, this is not 18 or 16 or something. They said drug sales were worse than rapists. That's crazy. That's what they said on the floor. So 
talking about the interim study about the availability of housing for the workforce, which might be interesting for y'all. Um, and then there's several bills dealing with eviction court um, and the way that that works. For instance, um, eviction court in Nebraska is the only place in the Nebraska judicial system where um, in order to be granted a continuance, right? So asking for more time for that case because you have something come up like a job or childcare or something like that to be considered proving cause for a continuance. Um, eviction court is the only place where you have to prove extraordinary cause to ask for a continuance. So like there's been cases where people are in the hospital and they haven't been granted continuances and got evicted. So trying to change that. Um, and then, like I said, strengthening retaliation protections for tenants so that their landlords can't go after them when they make complaints or ask them to do basic stuff like fix their toilet or their sink. Um, and then uh, hopefully we'll keep working on, you know, making sure that we're building more affordable housing and incentivizing the development of affordable housing and not just giving it to make more black friends. <laughs> <laughs> So how can folks um, support support the work that you want? Yeah, I mean, it's worth going to go down to the legislature. I think it's good to go down to the legislature. I think um, more immediately, in terms of the city, um, I think just demanding that you know, like I I I get mad every time I watch city council or go to city council and they have a chip plan up for some developer is going to get $300,000 in tax incentive financing to develop the Black Stone they Hotel. Don't they don't even debate. It's a unanimous vote every single time. And I swear to you, if people showed up, if people contacted their city council representative and just said, you just look at the agenda and see the eight things they're about to be approved to tip and just said, I don't want you to do this unless there's affordable housing in it. If you showed up and caused a stink, I think you know they're not used to having having people yell at them. Well, sane people. <laughs> That's a very good point. Um, that's what we got to start doing, man. We got to start going down to the legislature. And city we council. definitely got to go start going down to the city council and going out to them. Most all the individuals or organizations they go down and they make a stink about something. And they usually get some respect. Rich people go down. <laughs> we got we got to start taking the initiative to get organized. <laughs> well, we thank you both for coming in and uh, sitting down and talking with us. It was a great discussion. Uh, Wiggins, thank you for everything. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Tune in.